We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Candlestick Chronicles. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. I am joined again by Kyle Madsen, NinersWire.com of the USA Today Sports Media Group. By the time you hear this, the national championship game, the college football national title game, will have been played between Clemson and Alabama. Uh, There are going to be a lot of draft prospects in that game. Uh, And I think that's where we're going to start our discussion, Kyle. Um, You know, I fired off a tweet with a picture uh, from Media Day of Cleveland Farrell and, and just asked a simple question, future 49er. And a lot of people seem to get upset at that idea. Um, Farrell is, you know, I, I I don't know exactly. I haven't broken down all the all the tape yet, but sure. um, I think Farrell is definitely among a group of edge rushers that the 49ers are going to consider. And uh, and he's a little bit bigger than somebody like Josh Allen. He might not be as dominant or as complete a prospect as as Nick Bosa. But uh, I just want to talk to you, like break break down this idea for me that you know. Claylon Farrell might not be a good value at two, but he's a good value at five. And and just sort of what your philosophy is on on that discussion. I think the value at two versus value at five comes from either people reading Mel Kuyper's big board or uh, kind of making stuff up off the top of their heads. Uh, If I'm being totally honest, Uh, I, I, I don't think that value plays nearly as much into a team's picks as we like to think it does because we can sit here all day and say, well, Josh Allen has to be the pick or Nick Bosa has to be the pick at two. That's great value. But if they think that Cleland Farrell is going to be the best edge rusher in this class, they're going to draft him at two. And if he's a hall of famer at two or a hall of famer at number five, it doesn't matter where he went in the draft. Once you get on the field, you have to be productive 
And um, if the Niners, if the if the 49ers like a player at two, they're going to draft him. They're not worried about what kind of value they're getting. Uh, they showed that with Dante Pettis, who went earlier than most people thought he would. Uh, the same thing with Fred Warner when he went early in the third round. Uh, they, they're they're going to pick the players that they think best fit their team. Yeah, and you're <clears throat> ultimately it's about how that player stacks up to other players, not what slot you're picking. So if you think Cleveland Farrell is better than Josh Allen or Nick Bosa, um, I don't at the moment, but it's not inconceivable that the Niners would think that he's he's a little bit bigger than Allen. He might be, um, you know, better against the run. I've seen people throw out the Daniel Hunter comp, uh, which is probably a pretty good one. Hunter's a really really good player for the uh, for the Minnesota Vikings. He, I'm gonna look up his sack numbers. Why don't you say something interesting while I look up Daniel Hunter? Yeah, I'm not sure if Cleland Farrell is as athletic as Daniel Hunter, but. I mean, the size is there. The production has been there in in his four years at Clemson. And I get that the concern with him, and we'll get further into this. I'm sure we'll have some draft people on. But I think the concern is that, you know, his production comes from being around so many other talented players. Like, there's there might be like three or four first-round picks on that Clemson defensive line. They're amazing. Right. Right, so Daniel Hunter had 14 and a half sacks this year, seven last year, 12 and a half in 2016, six in 2015. Uh, he was a third round draft pick in right. 2015, which goes to show that you don't always, you know, it's not like you. It's impossible to find good players uh, outside of the first round of the draft, and and teams have to address their most pressing need with their first pick. Um, you ultimately just want to get the best player possible. And maybe it's Cleveland Farrell. Maybe he has a great game against Alabama tonight. He's going to go up against Jonah Williams, uh, who played at Folsom High near Sacramento and uh, is also going to be probably a top 10, maybe even a top five pick, maybe even the first overall pick to Arizona if they want to fortify their offensive line, which would be great news for the 49ers because that would mean Nick Bosa fell um, or, you know, maybe they like Josh Allen more anyway. But yeah, I mean, the point is, like, we don't do this revisionist history thing after the draft where we go, well, you know, I really liked that player at, at six and, and not three. You know, nobody does that. If, 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 you're, right. if you draft somebody in the top ten and he's a good player and he turns into an all-pro and he's a productive player and helps, re, you know, change the defense and, and make it uh, good enough so the 49ers can contend for a playoff spot, no one's going to care whether they took that player at three or six. It's ultimately I, I- like – is that player good or is that player bad? And, and you know, we, we don't really do the, the thing like where it just doesn't matter to me where a guy gets picked. Ultimately, it's just, is he good or not? Value is a buzzword used before and during the draft. I've got a perfect example here. Remember Denzel Ward when he went at number four to the Browns and everyone went, oh, that's terrible value. You yes. could have traded back and gotten him at 10. Guess what? Denzel Ward was a really damn good player. Right. And nobody cares that he got drafted at four. He was just a great player for them this year in his rookie season. Right. And the, the key for me is like, if you're drafting that early, you take a guy at a premium position. Yes. And I wasn't a huge Solomon Thomas f- fan coming into the draft. Like, I just didn't think, you know, play an interior defensive lineman when you already have DeForest Buckner. I just don't didn't see it as a pressing need. And I think, you know, Thomas not being as versatile as they wanted him to be uh, has sort of bore out. And he hasn't looked like a very good pick at that point. The point is, is that like you look at, 
you know, the premium positions, quarterback, defensive end, cornerback, and offensive tackle, right? So, and then maybe even receiver, if you, if you have a, if you find a, a guy who is, is good enough um, to, you know, like a Julio Jones type or AJ Green or somebody like that. Um, so those are the positions that really you value in the top 10. And if you're not picking one of those guys, it better be someone really, really good like Quentin Nelson, the, the guard for the Colts who, who dominated in the playoff game over the weekend. So point being, Cleveland Farrell plays a premium position. Josh Allen plays a premium position. You can justify all those picks in the top 10 and it's pure, and you should draft them purely based on how you rank those guys, not where you're picking. And the fact of the matter is, and what this is all going to come down to is throughout this draft season, we're going to talk uh, probably a lot about this edge class and the 49ers at number two are in a very, very good spot. That's, that's, that's what I think this is going to come down to, because even if Nick Bosa does go number one, I think there's going to be plenty of players that are going to go second that, that are going to be uh, equally productive in the NFL. So uh, for the 49ers to have lost out on that number one pick, they're still in a good place. And like you said, there are going to be a ton of good players at premium positions that they need uh, at, at that number two spot. Correct. And uh, I, I'll remind you that Von Miller went number two overall in the 2011 draft. He's pretty good. And he reminds He's a it. lot of people. He oh, Hot take. Jo- Josh Allen reminds some people of Von Miller. So well, there you go. Je- Josh Allen is Von Miller. You heard it here first. <laughs> <laughs> With that, let's let's talk a little bit about um, sort of the differences between, you know, the interior defensive line or even defensive ends and and edge players in, in the 49ers scheme, because yes, I know you mentioned there, there's a thought that, you know, because the 49ers have drafted DeForest Buckner and Solomon Thomas and, and Eric Armstead, who may or may not, you know, even be on the team uh, in a couple months, depending on whether or not the team wants to pick up his his fifth year option, which is going to pay him over $9 million, which is a pretty steep price for Armstead, just considering his, his entire body of work. Um, but, you know, I, I look at, you know, the, the edge versus interior discussion sort of similarly to like how you'd look at the secondary. Like if, if the 49ers had drafted a bunch of secondary players in the first round the last few years, you know, there, there's, there's a big difference between safety and corner. Right. And, right. and there's that's there's a similar difference, similar distinction between edge player, defensive end and interior guy, like a three technique like DeForest Buckner. So and and we can talk a little bit about Bosa and Josh Allen, too, in terms of how they fit in, in into these molds. But Allen, to me, is more of a is more of a Sam linebacker, uh, edge edge rusher, defensive end. So the 49ers only have a Sam and Leo in base situations um, and Sam and Leo get thrown out a lot. Just, just because you know they they're they're sort of splashy names for for positions, but those positions are just called defensive end when they go in sub, and they just have four defensive linemen down. So Sam linebacker is essentially uh, an outside linebacker in a three four scheme. The 49ers run a four three by definition, but it aligns as a three four essentially. Uh, it's a three four over front, which means you have a linebacker on the line of scrimmage on the strong side, which is essentially where the tight end is or where the fullback might be or where the strength of the formation is. Um, and that's only with two receiver sets when you only have two corners on the field. When you have three corners on the field, which is like two thirds of the time, uh, you you get you most of the time you get rid of a nose tackle or if you want to keep that nose tackle in, you'll get rid of a Sam linebacker. 
uh, and then you'll have two defensive ends. So what Josh Allen can do in the Niners scheme is he can be a Sam linebacker in base situations who who lines up on the strong side of the formation where he sets the edge against the run um, and maybe even rushes a passer on a blitz or drops into coverage, which he's proven to do pretty well at Kentucky. Um, and in sub packages, he could just play a classic defensive end on either side of the formation. Um, right. And and there's no, you know, that that there's a left defensive end and a right defensive end, and that doesn't switch based on the strength of the formation or based on which side the tight end lines up or what have you. Um, so the difference between, you know, a Sam linebacker defensive end and a more classic defensive end like, uh, like, you know, Nick Bosa is, you know, Nick Bosa would probably play, um, I mean, he would play Leo or big end in that base in that base situation with just two receivers on the field. And the, and the Leo lines up on the opposite side of the formation as a Sam, as a Sam linebacker, the big end lines up right next to the Sam linebacker. And he usually lines up over tight ends. And that that's the job that Eric Armstead did probably the best at uh, this last season. Solomon Thomas has done it some, um, but it's a little, it's, it's definitely a lot different than Sam linebacker. And you're never going to, you know, drop into coverage or anything like that or maybe you know rarely rarely would you drop into coverage i know uh robert Sala likes to to throw those looks and and twitter blows up whenever it goes wrong um <laughs> can you hey real quick can you cassius marsh was their primary sam linebacker this year right well so in base situations it would be it was mostly mark and zacha and malcolm smith um, and Cassius Marsh would come on the field in sub and particularly he was part of their third down package. So you can get, you can, you, you can mix it, mix and match a bunch of different ways. I would imagine their number two overall pick is going to be a guy who's on the field yeah. all three downs. <laughs> so, uh, so when I look at Allen, I, I see somebody who's probably, you know, going to be that Sam linebacker in base situations and then uh, be, you know, put his hand in the dirt and, and rush as a defensive end. Uh, in pass rushing down. So Joey Bosa, yeah, he can do both. Nick Bosa is, is versatile in a different way. He could, he could play one of the defensive end spots, either Leo or big end in base, and then play essentially any of the four defensive line spots along with, you know, defensive end, obviously like Allen could. Um, and you, he could even line up inside. So they're both, they're both the, the the key distinction for you know edge players. What the 49ers really need essentially is just somebody who can pass rush off the edge on second and third down when they're not when they're in sub packages. And and Bosa and Allen can both do that. Where they change as players is what you ask them to do in base packages. Yeah, and I think that's I think that's an important distinction going forward because there have just been uh, a lot of people I've seen. Uh, both on just on Twitter and then I, I've seen some draft analysts do this too, uh, noting that the 49ers might skip on a guy like Josh Allen because they've drafted defensive linemen in the first round uh, in three of the last four years. And and that's just, that's not going to be the case because the edge defender is such a different, uh, has such a different job than, than the interior guys do in the Niners defense. And somebody like Josh Allen provides uh, such a versatility that he plays so many different positions uh, and Nick Bosa, as well as you described that, that the Niners aren't going to skip on a guy like that. And that's ultimately the point that, that I wanted to get down to. Yeah. And and so let's, let's sort of parlay that into the next part of this discussion, which is breaking down 
where the 49ers struggle uh, st- statistically in, in some, you know, specific areas that they that they need to address if they want to improve and, and be a more competent team next year. Uh, so let's start on defense since since we're talking a, a, about the defense and the defensive line and the pass rush and things like that. Obviously, seven turnovers on the season, worst in NFL history, two interceptions, worst in NFL history. I think the obvious thing to point out is a better pass rush would uh, w- would obviously improve those numbers. And there's going to be some regression to the mean. I can't imagine the 49ers are are going to have uh, seven turnovers and and, you know, I asked Kyle Shanahan and Robert Saul about it, and, and they both kind of view their turnover situation like, yeah, we need to improve talent wise and we need to get more production up front. They had 37 sacks, which is tied for the seventh fewest in the league. But um, ultimately, you know, you look at the pass rush and if they if they bring in a, a game changing type player that really can make the entire defense better. It can make DeForest Buckner better because he faces fewer double teams on the interior uh, they could run games with, you know, with these outside guys and DeForest Buckner. Um, and I would imagine just the turnover situation is going to change pretty drastically next year. And then uh, and then we'll see if the 49ers are, are more competent. Um, you know, only 3.9% of opponents' drives ended in turnovers. The Lions were second worst at 7%. Golly. Um, Six six and a half percent of the passes the 49ers gave up went for touchdowns. That's the second worst. Um, and a six point four sack percentage ranked twenty-third in the NFL. Um, and and this this is a this is a pretty big deal too. The uh the opponents red zone, uh they they scored touchdowns on sixty-five and a half percent of their trips inside the twenty, and that's seventh worst in the NFL. And obviously, also playing a big part in this is is the 49ers offense turning the ball over um, at a super high clip. So if the 49ers hold on to the ball a little bit more, if they improve their pass rush and, and get some better luck and, and some regression to the mean when it comes to turnovers, uh, I could see the defense taking a pretty significant step forward next season. Yeah, and I don't think it can be understated how important an edge rusher is to to generating turnovers we saw it yesterday in that in that Ravens Chargers game the the Chargers had three guys who who could get to the quarterback off the edge and Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram and then even Uchenna Nwosu the rookie out of USC he had the strip sack to to effectively end the game and when you have players that can get off the edge where the quarterback's not looking uh that that uh, causes fumbles. We saw DJ Reed uh, blitz off the corner uh, to Case Keen was blindside and forced to fumble. Uh, and when you f- get quarterbacks uncomfortable, uh, collapse the pocket from the side, force them to throw the ball early, uh, hit them as they're throwing, that's when interceptions happen. If you let a quarterback just sit back and carve up a defense, d- defenses are at such a disadvantage that they're not going to go make an interception. They're not going to cause a fumble if the offense is just allowed to do what they want to do. It just it doesn't work like that. So finding a finding a player who can get off the edge and impact the game, I think, dramatically turns around this 49ers defense. Yeah. So let so let's take a look at the offense and, and just some key numbers that they probably need to improve. They were the last dead last in red zone touchdown percentage. I know we talked about it in the previous episode, which you can go download wherever you listen to your podcast on the Blue Wire Network. Um, Not a babe. <laughs> They, they converted touchdowns and just 41.2% of the red zone trips, which was dead last in the league. And, and we mentioned that I think when you get to the red zone, it's purely a talent 
thing more so than scheme. I think, you know, Kyle Shanahan is obviously widely regarded as one of the, the best offensive minds and schemers and game planners and play callers in the league. Uh, but obviously the team bogs down in the red zone. And I think that's because they don't really have the targets. Maybe George Kittle becomes, you know, he had five touchdowns this year. Uh, maybe he becomes a, more of a red zone threat. I think, you know, we've mentioned, we've mentioned that that's probably the next evolution in his game. Um, you know, are they going to get a receiver? Is Antonio Brown going to come? That's, that's a big question. And, and, you know, ESPN continues to report that uh, the Steelers are interested in shopping Brown and getting something for getting something back. The 49ers are obviously a, a possible landing spot, uh, just given their need for a receiver and the fact that they don't really have an avenue uh, to, to get another one, a number one wide out this offseason, unless they really try trading for Brown, um, barring any of these, you know, draft prospects uh, sort of surprise us and, and become true number one options. But so talent at pass catcher is definitely something the 49ers need to need to focus on. Um, here's another interesting thing. Eight of the top 11 rushing teams in the NFL went to the playoffs. So I, I, I jotted that one down because uh, there's a lot of talk in, in, you know, people talking about the league and it's such a pass happy league and the rules make it so much easier to pass. But I think in order to be a good offense and in order, in order to keep defenses off balance, you have to be able to run the ball. And obviously, too, a lot of the the rushing metrics and stats are, are a product of, you know, good teams tend to play with the lead. And when you play with the lead, you run the ball more often. I get that. But um, what the 49ers do is so heavily predicated on play action and and being able to run the ball with those outside zone schemes and, and things like that. Uh, the reason why I mentioned the running game and the 49ers were in the top 10 and just pure yardage for, th- for throughout most of the season. And a lot of that's because they use so many, you know, big tight end sets. They obviously use Kyle Juszczyk, their fullback quite a bit. Um, their, their receivers are pretty good at blocking for the run, but the 49ers had the fewest rushing touchdowns in the NFL with just seven. Um, and that also speaks to the red zone touchdown percentage. And, and they were far better in that area with Carlos Hyde, who is more of a bigger bruising type running back. Uh, you know, their their biggest back last year was Alfred Morris, who, you know, struggled <laughs> near the goal line, yeah. particularly in, in, you know, I think the most obvious case would be week one against Minnesota, where he fumbled at the goal line. And that really changed the outcome of that game. And and I think the 49ers could have won that game had, had Morris punched that one in instead of uh, in, instead of losing the fumble and, and giving yeah. the ball back to the Vikings. So, um, yeah, what, what do you think the 49ers can do, Kyle, to, to improve in the red zone? Yeah, I think a big receiving target is going to be is going to be the big thing because we saw uh, against the Rams, we saw we saw the value of even a guy like Kendrick Bourne, who I think is what 6'1", 200, 205, I think is what he's listed at. Uh, Nick Mullins just threw a ball up for him and he went and got it, and that's something that we hadn't really seen from the Niners uh, all year. So I think if they can get a a big bodied red zone type threat, I'm not even saying draft one in the first couple of rounds, but uh, just somebody that they can check into a game and and get the ball to in that area, I think, is a big deal. We both mentioned uh, Kittle last week as a as a potential candidate to do that. Um, I, I I really think you hit it on the head though when you talk about just talent in general, um, forcing forcing teams to account for more guys in that area, uh, and that really allows Shanahan's scheme to to be its most effective. Uh, but right now, with how many injuries they had this year, 
and just the general talent on the offensive side of the ball, I just I don't think they were they were primed for success in in the red zone. So we have some breaking news from uh, from Yahoo Sports. Pete Famel, I, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. Jeff Halfley, the 49ers uh, secondary coach, the last I think since 2016. Uh, is leaving the 49ers to be a co-defensive coordinator at Ohio State, uh, which is very interesting. That means the 49ers have a void in the coaching staff and need to find a new secondary coach. Um, Halfley was a guy who stuck through the Chip Kelly coaching change. Um, and I, people within the organization really, really like and respect Halfley. And I know the players did too. But I think... Um, he, I, I don't know that the 49ers would have tried to move on from him anyway, but just given the fact that they, you know, only had two interceptions, which we said is the fewest in NFL history. Um, and there were so many communications issues, you know, particularly early in the season. And, and some of that can be attributed to just no, you know, continuity having started eight different combinations of safeties throughout the season. Um, but Halfley was a guy that <clears throat> I think, the 49ers might have tried moving on from anyway. Uh, if if they were looking really for sort of a fall guy, so to speak, um, like I said, he didn't join the 49ers staff when they hired Robert Sala. He was there uh, under Jim O'Neill as the defensive coordinator in 2016 when, when Chip Kelly put his staff together. And obviously, you know, the 49ers went two and 14. So it's, it's a, an interesting wrinkle to the off season. And, and I'm going to be curious as to see who the 49ers bring in to coach in the secondary. And I would imagine it would probably be somebody from the Pete Carroll, you know, cover three Seahawks type scheme that they like to run. Um, and maybe, you know, working on have, taking a different approach to getting turnovers in the secondary, could, could improve for the 49ers in, in that respect. Work with me here. Richard Sherman, player coach. I mean, he basically is already. <laughs> you could right. save a little cash. Save a little yeah, cash, that... invest it in... Um, what, would you, what would you do with like the... Bonds, the, the, mutual funds. Mutual funds, okay. <laughs> save is for that, the future. Uh-huh, Not, exactly. Yeah, so you could afford a, a house in, in Northern California at some point. Um, yes. <laughs> okay, so that's a little bit of breaking news. We'll we'll see how that shakes out. So I think something you touched on j- just real quick while we're talking about turning the ball over, uh, something you touched on earlier that I that I don't think can get glossed over is the 49ers' issues turning the ball over on offense and how difficult that makes life for a defense. Uh, whether that's uh, starting with a short field, which we saw in the Rams game, they had the pick six, and then they started two drives inside their own ten, I believe. Off of 49ers turnovers. I think one was at the 13. So inside their own red zone. Yeah. Uh, or inside the Niners red zone. That's 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 tough. Uh, and then you just get, it's so many extra possessions that the defense is on the field. Uh, and that just makes, that just makes life so much harder, especially in an NFL where playing defense is becoming so difficult with the rules and the complexity of the offenses. Uh, so I don't think that's something that, that can be overlooked when we're assessing uh, what the defense did this year. Uh, that's something the, the offense just can't do again next year. If they, if they turn the ball over as much as they did on offense, uh, they're, they're, they're not going to the playoffs next year. That's my take. Okay. We have more breaking news. You ready for yeah, more? Do we have like a breaking news drop? Like a uh, cool sound we could play for breaking news. 
breaking news. All right, great. So Dwayne Haskins, uh, speaking of Ohio State, my alma mater, by the way. Uh, I was say, a lot of Ohio State talk in this podcast, Chris. I know. Uh, he just <laughs> declared for the draft. And so that's, uh, that's not entirely surprising, uh, just given the fact that he's probably the, the top quarterback prospect available. Um, and that relates to the 49ers because if teams, you know, quarterbacks probably more than any other position see their stock rise before the draft like rocket ships a lot of the times. And just because, you know, it is the most important position on the field, a quarterback might be overvalued or, you know, we'll, we'll get taken first or second overall, obviously. And there are going to be a lot of teams needing quarterbacks. And so the 49ers picking at number two might be in prime position to trade back. Uh, or if they don't trade back, maybe Arizona trades out of the number one overall pick and someone moves up to, to take Haskins first overall then you're looking at your pick of pass rushers, which would include, hey, another Ohio State guy, Nick Bosa. So breaking news, Dwayne Haskins coming out for the draft. That's great news for the 49ers um, because they don't need a quarterback and they uh, they they could trade back for, for multiple first round picks. Like we mentioned before, I think they only have uh, six first round picks or sorry, six draft picks overall in this class. <laughs> um, so maybe they move out, uh, get more ammunition, more draft capital. And maybe if they move back with the team that has multiple first round picks, they get another one, which they could possibly trade for Antonio Brown. You never know. So Dwayne Haskins coming out is, is going to be a big, it's going to be a big story in the draft, obviously. And, and we will break that down as we go. But with that, I think we're going to call it this episode. Enjoy uh, the national championship game, Kyle. And uh, I will be there. No big deal. And we will talk to you guys soon. Thanks. Oh, man. <laughs> Thanks for listening to <laughs> Candlestick Chronicles on the Blue Wire Network. Please rate, subscribe, review wherever you listen to your podcast. And we are out.